0: Right. Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and sitting with me here live in studio is Pastor Aaron White. Pastor Aaron, welcome
1: back. It's great to be here, Kevin. Uh, it's just good to be anywhere that you are. Of course. Now, how do you like the new studio? It's amazing. I think if your listeners could see what I'm seeing, uh, it, would, it would definitely blow their minds. Well, if they looked on Instagram, they'd see it. Really? Yes. Is that the moment where you photoshopped a picture of you standing by John Piper? No, but I do have a picture of me John Piper. He, he had the chance to meet me once. He did? He did. He took advantage of that? Yeah,
0: of course. Wow. He's like, please take a picture of this. And that was wise on his part. But he had the chance earlier, uh, two years ago, but he, for some reason, declined.
1: Really? But I think he was a little nervous. I understand. Um, I mean, I'm intimidated just sitting here with you as well. It's, it's rough. Cut JP some slack, though. Let him, throw him a text.
0: Reach well, out to him we'll see we'll see if the Lord lays that upon my heart later I'll try to reach out to John to see what we can do JP yeah that sounds good (laughs) alright so we're uh we're continuing our series on the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace or uh as Spurgeon just said the gospel um and we've we've walked our way through the familiar tulip acrostic and today we are coming to irresistible grace
1: so uh Pastor, Aaron, how would you define? What does that mean? Irresistible grace. How would I define irresistible grace? Um, gosh, I mean, you put me on the spot like that when you say define. Now we're getting to particulars. Yeah. And well, I said we were talking I'm, about irresistible grace. Well, a lot of your uh, listeners. I figured you knew what that was. I, I I think I do, but a lot of your listeners are really smart, so I know that I gotta be careful mm. here. If I were to just give a, a somewhat hopefully helpful definition of irresistible grace, what we're talking about is a point in time when God, the Holy Spirit, overcomes, effectively overcomes our innate rebellion and opens the eyes of our heart to see and to savor the glory of Christ Mm. and at that point willingly come to him. Um, So there's a lot in there. That's a very pregnant response, and I'm guessing you're going to want to pull it apart, but I think that's where I would stand. You mentioned the word effectual. And some would like to
0: change that if we want to get rid of the whole acrostic, the idea of an effectual grace. In other words, this is actually something that does something. It's an active, not a passive thing.
1: Yep. Yep. I, I've heard it. Uh, gosh, there's only so many ways you can, you can come up with an acrostic. Yeah. You know, I've heard, I think, roses or radical corruption. and you know, But I have heard that irresistible grace would be more correctly defined as effectual hmm. grace or you know, whatever you want to say. Effective grace, maybe, or effective calling. Uh, have you heard the bacon acrostic? Bacon? There's a, there's a
0: bacon acro- I, I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. But, um, you know, you keep talking. I'll just be Googling. No. Um, <laughs> we're not going to waste time with that. But it's the idea, of, yeah, something that's active, not passive. Uh, Edwin Palmer defined it as, God sends his Holy Spirit to work in the lives of people so that they will definitely and certainly be changed from evil too good so it's a change that God brought it brings about in our in our hearts in our lives if we look back at, the, at some of the previous points we've talked about just the idea of total depravity would tell us that we are not inclined to accept the gospel message right um, the old illustration of you, you get two people sitting in a church service the gospel is being preached one upon hearing the gospel, is convicted repents of his sins embraces the grace and mercy of god and is now walking in newness of life the person sitting next to him hears the same message Yet his heart is cold toward the gospel he he rejects the message does not follow after christ and walks away unconverted so the question is why why, you're, you're in the same message. You're hearing the same gospel. Yet two different responses. Is one simply more intelligent than the other? Or one uh, somehow better? Well, then we have a, a gospel that's dependent upon us. And if we understand, again, total depravity, as we talked about in our first week, then we would say that neither one of those people was inclined to do that. It, it wasn't anything within us that just... Uh, reached out and and embraced anything but it had to be a work of God and and again we go to the next point of an Mm -hmm. unconditional election that we can see okay, God in his sovereign will chose one and not the other. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated back in Romans 9. That's a a fair and accurate portrayal of what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, anytime we're looking uh, at the so called Five Points of Calvinism, yeah. Tulip, Doctrines of Grace. You know, um, it, it really, and I, you know, I would encourage you as a listener, if you haven't, to go back and listen to those beginning sessions, specifically on the T, on total depravity. Because right. if we get down the pipe to this point of limited atonement and irresistible grace and perseverance yeah. of the saints, it really goes back to total depravity. Mm-hmm. I remember R.C. Sproul. Uh, if you're a new listener, if you're not familiar with that name, S-P-R-O-U-L, please look it up. Uh, Dr. Sproul was talking about when he was teaching at seminary, and he said the first week when I was teaching through the Doctrines of Grace, I had everybody raise their hand if they believed in total depravity. that According to passages like Romans 3 and Ephesians 2, that man is not just marred by sin, that man you know is not just infected by sin and yet retains some some spark of righteousness but the man the biblical witness is that man is corrupt in his nature by union with adam and by merit of his own sin that he is wholly inclined to sin so to use biblical terms none are righteous no not one we are dead in our trespasses and sins and he says how many of you affirm that he said that everyone raised their hand yeah and so he wrote the number of students on the board and circled it and this is back when they had chalkboards i'm sure you know. And if you know anything about R.T. Sproul, there's always a chalkboard. There's always board. a chalkboard, yes. yeah. The, but if you're a millennial, um, <laughs> a chalkboard was something we all had to endure. An ancient uh, invention of yeah. education. So. It was awesome. I miss it, actually. So he wrote down the number and saved it for the next week, and then they came in and they moved, like we're doing in this series, they moved to the U. Um, and then after talking about unconditional election, there was, there was a bit of attrition. You know, the, the number of the same body of students went down as to those who affirmed that. He goes, and then there was a major exodus when he got to limited atonement. Mm-hmm. And, and, but what he was showing was that there's a major logical inconsistency. Right. That if you affirm total depravity in, in all that that means, and again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode, you really have to wonder, where's the breakdown in my reasoning if I reject right. irresistible grace and yet try to affirm it? Yeah. Total depravity.
0: Really, total deprived, if you embrace total private, and not only do I embrace it, but I practice it, um, <laughs> everything else is not just acceptable, but required. There's no way I could be saved. If my heart is, is, is a heart of stone that is cold and dark, then there's no way, no matter what is presented to me, I'm, that I'm just going to accept that. Right. You know, the well, let's let's. I want to turn to John chapter 6, and this is probably a, a classic uh passage when it comes to this topic in general. And this is Jesus speaking.
1: Oh, I couldn't figure out why your Bible was so much bigger than mine because you're using the message.
0: Cut, wait, what? <laughs> Continue, anyway. John chapter 6, and I'll start reading verse uh, 37, or actually verse 36, The uh, this is the bread of life discourse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we have Jesus talking about people who are coming to him, but it's clear that no these guys are not coming to him, and no one can come to him unless the Father has has drawn him. And you have this repeated phrase that I will raise and whoever comes to me, I will raise up on the last day. So there seems to be some certainty here. That there is an elect, and that elect will come to
1: Jesus. The Father draws them. Right. And the classic counter-argument at that point would be that merely means to woo. And yeah. So there, there are some, you know, and, and again, brothers in Christ, many of them, that would say, well, I, I, I do believe that it does take a work of God, but that's a work of God that is extended to all people. It's a... a you know a prevenient grace yeah. that essentially that goes out to every person and he woos men unto himself you know and so you have to ask yourself okay well is that the way the text is rendered is that really what he's saying but to your point you said that there's this promise given to, to those yeah. who I draw which the word draw I would argue doesn't necessarily mean woo right um, in fact Sproul says in, um, in his book "The
0: uh, just lost him Chosen by God. Yeah, chosen by God. He talks about that word in, in the Greek, it has the idea in secular Greek literature, it's also used to describe a man uh, bringing up water from a well, drawing up mm-hmm. water from the well. And he, he jokingly suggests, just imagine that man sitting at that well saying, please water, come up, please, yeah. please, I please. beg you to come up, <laughs> I, I want you, to, don't you know it's so much better up here? Well, it's, it's a comical picture. Um, but that's not that's not so happening at all no, it's water, also water's used, being acted upon by an right. agent it's yeah. also used um, in another sense in the scripture at least in the book of Acts where um, whether it's Caesar or one of the other uh, Roman rulers who are commanding people to come to him and this wasn't a wooing a you know, Roman guard sent to the apostles please come with me if you don't mind right. but it right. was you're coming with me you,
1: you don't have a choice in this and to your point before about the raising up on the last day, this yeah. promise of glorification in the resurrection. Right. It's a joyful raising on the last day. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily a great promise to be raised to condemnation. We're talking about eternal life. Yeah. And so if you're saying, if the raising on the last day is a beautiful promise of glorification, then is he saying, I will draw all men equally, I will woo all men, yeah. and I will raise them all up. Well, then you're, I mean, I'm not trying to make a straw man so I can knock yeah. it down, you know, but if if that are the conclusions that we're coming to, then we're bordering on universalism. Right. And so it's much more natural to this text, John six forty four specifically, to say this is a peculiar set of people that are being effectively drawn and those people then will receive the end result of glorification because right. we're not universalist. And so I don't know if you're going to talk about it at all, but I think it's a good point because I'm just thinking from the point of a an antagonist listening, thinking probably all the same things that I thought when I first bumped up against this doctrine was even the name. And we've already said in passing that it's not a great term. Well, why is that? It's because a lot of people hear irresistible grace, and they go, wait a minute, I've resisted grace many times. And I I know so-and-so who resisted the overtures of the gospel a hundred times and then finally came to Christ. Or they might say... It just wasn't my experience as I experienced regeneration right. you know, I, I heard the gospel and I willingly made a choice to come to Christ yeah. and so I think you have to clear out some of the cobwebs there in terms of what do we actually mean are we saying that God's work of grace can't be resisted yeah that's a good point
0: because many people I think probably the testimony of most people is that they did not accept the gospel when they first heard it I did not and fought against it and Almost uh, coming into the kingdom, kicking and screaming. But that, I don't think, is the, is the picture that we're trying to draw here. Because not only can we go back to the T in, in total depravity, and we would say not only do is it possible to resist that grace, most men will. But what we're saying here is there will come a time. God, again, back in this passage in, in John 6, all that the Father gave me will come to me that doesn't mean at first but when it's his whenever his sovereign decree when he decides it's done it's done I remember my own testimony I fought against this even growing up in a Christian home going to a Bible college there were many times I knew I needed to humble myself and submit myself to the sovereign will of God and I said no and I ran away uh, like Jonah until I remember the night when it was just like nope you're done. This is, this is over. The game's up. You're, you're going to repent of your sin now. You are going to mm. uh, embrace the gospel. And, and that's when God drew me. And again, it wasn't just me saying, okay, all right, I'm, I'm willing to do this. But God overcame
1: my rebellion at that moment and said, mm. you're mine. Amen. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for boasting. No. When that's your testimony. Right. And, you, and it really shapes the way you even say because I the more I understand these biblical truths specifically irresistible yeah. grace I really not, not in a legalistic way but just for my own conscience sake I try to not say uh, I got saved at such right. and such a time I say God saved me yeah because um, that's really what happened but I think two texts to think about if you're, if you're listening online and just kind of contemplating Acts chapter 7 right toward the end of Stephen's sermon. Now, I'm using an ESV. You know, I'm, I don't know if the NESV is close or not. But, uh, so you're not using the message here. Just <laughs> to be clear, you know, I don't <laughs> wanna, no I one... slandered on my own podcast. Who even brought that up? So in Acts chapter 7, at the end of Stephen's uh, sermon, he says to the leaders in verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. And so there's literally that word. And so someone could potentially go to that as a proof text and say, wait a minute, you're saying irresistible grace, non-resistible grace. And yet Stephen is saying, you do that very thing. You resist the overtures and the wooings and the dealings of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I think many theologians have have wanted to change it to effectual grace or effectual calling, whatever the case may be. So granted, what we're seeing and what Stephen is saying is that there are many, many times in our lives... Where we suppress the truth and knowledge, right. or knowledge and truth. and uh, Many times we reject the call of the gospel, and we suppress... I mean, that's Romans 118, is that yep. we're constantly suppressing truth. Well, let we're me sp- bring up the ultimate proof text against what we're saying. Okay.
0: And I've heard this over and over. In fact, I was sitting in a church service not very long ago. It wasn't my the, church. It wasn't your church. Okay. I, okay. I only go to good churches. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and the pastor said, turn your Bibles to Matthew 23. And I turned over, I looked at my my wife, Jill, and I said, this is going to be brutal. Here it comes. You're you're going to have to hold me down here. But Matthew 23, uh, I've heard this many times, so I'm going to ask you to to, 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 uh, address this. Verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Okay. It's not that God, God was willing. God is trying to gather people together like a chicken gathers for sand. But you would not. So that seems to say that God wanted to do something, but it was a human will that denied God his, his
1: uh, desire. Mm. Well, here, to answer that question... Should we so, just end the podcast now because we're done? Yeah, could, yeah. I, I think that's the trump card, so we can, okay. we can just be done. Um, or, if we want to peradventure our response, hmm. we're looking at verse 37 and thinking, okay, so if, if, if I were talking to someone preaching that text, you know, thinking with a gracious mindset, and what, what can I affirm about what this brother yeah. is saying? Because maybe that brother is saying, he's warning, rightly warning, saying don't don't resist the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's a good thing to preach. If you feel conviction... Right. If you feel, you know, you're hearing the gospel, uh, don't waste your life. Don't throw your soul away. Paul pleaded with men and and persuaded men. Spurgeon did the same. And so I wouldn't just go to a brother who's pleading and say, don't resist the Holy Spirit and poke him in the eye. Yeah. I would say, keep preaching that. That's good. Right. Um, But I guess privately, if I were talking to this brother, whoever it is, or, you know, someone in your class or on campus, wherever you are, I would... Try to help them understand that I'm not necessarily saying something completely opposite of what you're saying. I'm saying it's more multifaceted than that. So what do we do with it? Is this a passage where Jesus is saying, I really want to save everybody, but your human will is bumping up against my sovereign desire and you win. That's clearly not what we're saying. But how do we understand that then? When we look at this passage, we're talking about the will of God. Are we talking about God's decorative will where he says planets come to life, animals spring into existence, let there be light? Uh, There was no argumentation there. God's will of decree is his sovereign will that is executed immediately. Right? Right. Or are we talking about his um, perceptive will where we have like the Ten Commandments where God is saying don't do this, this is my will for you, but clearly we break the Ten Commandments all yeah. the time. Uh, or are we talking about his will of disposition, which means, according to, I think it was Ezekiel, I think, now I'm doubting myself, says God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Right, that is and Ezekiel. It is, thank you. It's a good thing Kevin Thompson's here. Yeah. Walking in concordance. So I would look at that text and say that is more fittingly the, the will of disposition yeah. the, the will of God is not that any should perish he doesn't get his jollies right. off watching Jerusalem perish but if what we're saying is I tried to exercise my decorative will but your will is just too strong like no one's saying that but if that's where we're kind of leading to yeah. then clearly our theology is out of whack right. so I would look at that and say this can't be his decorative will when he told Lazarus to get up, Lazarus didn't argue. yeah this must be a different facet of the will of God, and I would say it's more rightly his will of disposition that does Jesus would he his dis- disposition to see people saved? Yes, but does he owe it to Jerusalem to save everybody? does he is it unfair? Yeah no, he could do to them what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah and it right. would be called justice You go to Romans 9 and here you know
0: does the potter does the potter doesn't that mean he have power over the clay? What would it say if man could thwart the will of God, the decorative will of God, what would it say about God if my will could overcome his, I, I couldn't believe any promise of Scripture. Everything is contingent upon my say. Then. But I, I want to hmm. bring this from a different direction. James White, in his book, The Potter's Freedom, addresses this, and he does, he does a really good job, he, look at the text and he makes an interesting point if you look at the context we're in uh, matthew 23 and jesus is declaring seven woes against the scribes and the pharisees so he's talking that's that's the audience of of verse 37. o jerusalem jerusalem the city that kills the prophets stones those who are sent to it how often would i have gathered your children together as a hen so the first per- the people he's talking to is not the people necessarily he's trying to gather together. So he's saying, I would gather your children together as head hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. So he's talking to the, fri- the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's saying, I want to gather your children or the people who are following you, but you, the leaders, would not. You mm-hmm. don't want them coming to me. But we see throughout the scriptures, they're coming to Jesus. Right. Despite what the others are are telling them, Jesus continues to draw crowds. Okay, And so even just... Putting it in context here, this is not necessarily saying what people I think wanted to say. I'm not one to argue with James White. That's so probably I, so. Point. I won't <laughs> <laughs> the great White. Um, and, and, and James has had a he, he's had the opportunity to meet me as well. A couple. Of has he really? He's one my uncle, you know. Aaron
1: White, James White.
0: He's your uncle. No, I just made that up. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about James White. You know, if people could see us here, um, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big guy. Uh, I'm a little smaller than I used to be, but uh, I was at a conference with with Dr. White. We weren't preaching together, but I just happened to be a tent. Right. right. Uh, and I, after the, after the service was over, I was going to go and talk to him, and, and so he had this. He was up on this on the on the podium, and the stage there was a probably about just a couple, maybe like three feet off the ground. So not not much. And I decided I'm just going to. I don't need stairs. I'm just going to. So I got up there, and I, and I kind of lost my footing. And Dr. White just grabbed me and just pulled me right up. And I was probably good at 300 pounds then. And it
1: was just like, like I was nothing. I mean, that, that dude's strong. He, he, he bikes. He's strong. I think he practices some sort of martial arts. There's, there's all yeah. kinds of things going on there that I'm not sure about. He's here. like the Chuck Norris of the reformed world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one more passage I want to touch Okay. On. I, I guess
0: we should probably talk about the for your
1: <laughs> For your listeners. Yeah. Um... I just, I I guess in my own personal experience, pastorally, uh, my own wrestling when it comes to this doctrine, I think Matthew 23 needs to be thought through. I think you really need to think through, as we said before, if you're landing on total depravity and affirming that, why then logically am I not landing on embracing irresistible grace? But I think there's also, there's still that question of, okay, uh, I'll concede those things. But here's the other straw man. It's just you're always knocking down straw men are yeah. trying. The other straw man that gets put up at this point is, okay, fine, I, I see the text. I'll, I'll concede that John 6, draw doesn't mean woo. And you know, I'll, I'll concede that the etymology of the words mean this and not that. And I'll, But I still don't understand how God could be glorified by dragging people into his kingdom, kicking and yeah. screaming. And that's another of the straw men that I think we have to help deconstruct so if you're, if you're thinking that, I just want to try to help. If you're you know, ministering to someone in your life who you know, they've, they've wrestled with the text and they're, they're at that point saying, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but I still don't understand how it brings God glory to bring someone mm. kicking in. Because what they're saying is, I'll concede that total depravity is true. yeah Okay, good. That's a, that's a good thing. Right. That's a big step in the right direction, biblically. But then in their mind, they might be thinking, well, because we're depraved and it's irresistible, then you have, you know, you're dragging an inmate down this hallway kicking and screaming, you know, into heaven and they don't want right. to be there. Is so that's a good question. And so if we were to address that on the shorthand, it would be that's not what we're saying. Right. To put a little bit more underneath that, what we are saying, I think is most clearly illustrated in 2 Corinthians 4, hmm. I think. That for me it is. If there's another text I'm all ears, but uh, Paul in verse 1 says, "Therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, I mean, the, the ministry of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And what he just said is why it's important to affirm these doctrines, is yeah. that if God is the one doing the work through the gospel, I don't have to manipulate people. I don't have to use gimmicks. I don't need any of that. I just preach the gospel and, and lay down my life in the service right. of, of God. So it says, we don't lose heart, we've renounced disgraceful underhand ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God and then even if our gospel is veiled Hmm. or not seen, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that's that's the problem, is a spiritual blindness. They cannot see glory. Hmm. That's the problem. For, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're proclaiming, we're not right. manipulating, we're not putting arms behind anyone's backs, we're preaching. It is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's a whole different sermon about Man-centered preaching. But anyway, Mm -hmm. with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, verse 6 is where I want to land. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. So he's talking about the ministry of the gospel. People don't see it. Their eyes, the the eyes of their hearts are blinded. They don't see glory. So in verse 6, he says, for God. So there's the primary agent who's going to rectify this. For God... Who said, "Let light shine out of darkness"? So that's going all the way back to Genesis one. Yeah. Which Genesis one? Going back to what we discussed earlier, that would be his decorative will. Right. That would be his powerful, sovereign, decorative. It's going to happen. Will creation ex nihilo. So he's linking that to the conversion experience. Yes. Yeah. That's really, really important for God, who said, "Let light shine out of darkness." Has shown in our hearts. So he's done that same kind of thing in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And so what is he doing there? Well, we were blind and glory was veiled and we couldn't see it. We're dead in our sins. So God, just like he did in Genesis, he's not wooing, he's not asking. But he's also not dragging what is he doing he's giving the new covenant promises a new heart new taste buds eyesight all of these spiritual capacities that are the gift of the new covenant applied by the holy spirit and what's the first thing our eyes see when they are opened by god is to behold the glory of god in the face of jesus christ And so now we see the most ultimate beauty and now we have the capacity of a new covenant heart, a fleshy heart, not a stony heart. And so the natural overflow is to do what we were made to do, which is to glorify Him and enjoy Him. And so at that point, and that's where people experience conversion. So that's where you're you're at the conference, you're kneeling down by the side of the bed, you're you're at a Bible camp, you're in church, whatever. And that's where all this is happening maybe in milliseconds, and it's hard to parse out the chronology of this, you know, to a degree. But you know that man, my eyes were open. I was blind, now I yeah. can see, you know, John Newton. Well, that's true. So what did you see? Well, I saw my sin and the glory of Christ. And you saw it really and, and with full affection. Yeah. And what did you do? You said, I want that. I could not have that. Right. Okay. That's what we're talking about, is God giving the capacity, overcoming rebellion, showing you the glory of himself in Christ, and with that new eyesight and that new heart combining, the natural and only logical response is, I want that. And so, we can just, I want to just put to bed the whole idea of, well, we come into the kingdom kicking and screaming. Absolutely not. Right. However, it is a single-handed work of God. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I've heard it described, might have been Piper describing, you know, if, you, if I have the flu, I and mean, I think if we live in the Midwest in the wintertime, we've all had the flu to yeah. some degree. If you put a nice hot fudge Sunday in front of me, the hot fudge Sunday is what it is. It, it has a, its being, its ontology is a hot yeah. fudge Sunday. The problem's with me. that I look at it and go, eh, I don't, yeah. I can't. But if I'm well, if you can fix my malady, that's the same hot fudge Sunday. Right. But now it's much more attractive and delectable. And so God is doing something in us. Now, here's the rub. Can someone be effectually raised to new life and regenerated? And at that point say, you know, I, I got this new heart and this new mind and new spiritual capacities. And I see the glory of Christ, but I still don't want it. And then I lose my salvation. That's just not the way Scripture reads. No. That's just not the ebb and flow. Uh, that when he effectually calls someone and raises them and applies the promises of the new covenant, they come, but they really do come. Right. You know, My experience was not, well, I've got to get saved now. Like yeah. This is not anybody's experience no. that's truly saved. Uh, so I just hope that helps you guys a little bit. I don't know. May, you know, feel free to maybe message Kevin and complain to him for having crummy guest on the show. Yeah, that usually happens when you're on. Right? <laughs> it's usually like scrape at the bottom of the barrel. You thought yeah. it was James White, but it's Aaron White, so now they're all frustrated. You know,
0: we, we've had James White on the program several times. Really? How did you get but these guests on the show? Not James R. White. Oh. We have James D. White from Alabama who pastors the Lighthouse Baptist Church. down there. Oh. But um, I, I did I did interview Dr. White for a previous podcast about ten years ago. Whoa. And uh, I'll probably put that on this podcast sometime. Just so I can say I've had James White on the podcast. There we go. But, so we are, we are running out of In fact, we're already over time. Um, and so we end each podcast with some recommended resources. Sort of, so are there any books,
1: articles you think are helpful for digging in a little deeper? The ones you mentioned, uh, Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul, Potter's Freedom by James White. And actually the little book you have in front of you, uh, Five Points by John Piper. It's mercifully small. It's maybe yes. 100 pages. He moves the tulip around. I think he starts ninety four pages. Ninety four pages. Awesome. Piper rightly puts total depravity at the beginning. Yeah. But then I think he actually deals with irresistible grace right after that. Right. Because of what we're talking about is that's normally the way people experience salvation, and so I found it to be really small, really understandable, and I think his logic is helpful in doing that. So five points by John Piper.
0: Yeah, we we've been running that book throughout this series. And the other book, I, I've mentioned a couple of times already, The Five Points of Calvinism uh, by Edwin Palmer, is another short book. It, it's, it's, it is over 100 pages, I'm sure. Yeah, about 130. Um, but really goes through uh, lots and lots of
1: scripture. And I think that's the advantage of this book. Applied well. Calvinism for just how do I live out this theology? I think it's Living for God's Glory by Joel Beakey. Hmm. Uh It's another really helpful book to say, okay, I, I get the theology of the, you know, the tulip, but how do I live it out? Yeah. How do I live truly before the face of God? And I, that book is really helpful by Beaky.
0: Of course, there are several books written by our guest that we could mention. Um, and I'll put those on the website because all of it. a sudden I'm drawing a blank on titles.
1: That's a total pity thing, but I'll <laughs> take it. I'll totally sure. take it. Thank uh, you. Let's see. The, the
0: Faith of Our Grandfathers, right? Is that what's The one? Gospel
1: of Our Grandfathers. The Gospel of Our Grandfathers. I dedicated
0: that to you. I'm surprised you didn't remember. Um, uh, even though you didn't know me when you wrote that book. You, you well, had it was predestined to happen. Yeah. So. And then um, you, you wrote a small little book on on Romans eight, uh, dealing with suffering, and
1: uh, even a, a children's book on the Book of Romans. Paul's big letter, the book helpful. for kids on Romans. Yeah, uh, writing for me is like George Herbert when he used poetry. It's a way to worship because yeah. you have to stop and contemplate, you know, eternal realities. Mm. And so, for me, it's a it's a devotional exercise. But yeah. if people are helped by it, that's awesome. And You know, I tried to write a book once. I, I got through the
0: introduction and the table of contents. And that's about as far as I went. That's pretty good, though. <laughs> so I decided, you know, this stuff actually is, is kind of hard. To get. I'm going to let people who actually know what they're talking
1: about. Kevin, if you write. wrote a book, and I think, I think your listeners would agree, I would really, really want to read that book. Just because you're such a smart and somewhat, somewhat of a renaissance man a little eclectic i would just i would be curious because i know that there would be nuggets of wisdom embedded in a large smattering of sarcasm so Yeah, <laughs> i wouldn't want to read it just out of sheer curiosity well i can send you the introduction
0: i, I used the introduction of my uh bible doctrines class but it was going to be a book on bible doctrine oh but we'll see someday you know i still have my basic outlines and someday you know my kids are all right that's it so we're
1: starting an online i'm doing it right now i'm starting an online petition (laughs) so if you're listening online if you're with me if you'd want to see a a bible doctrine systematic theology written by kevin thompson um you know it's gonna be a pop-up book probably too so if you want to if you want to see that (laughs) and all the coloring pages will be great (laughs) join in petitioning (laughs) to see bible doctrine a la kevin thompson all right well we're going to end this
0: podcast now before i commit myself to too much well so thank you, uh, Pastor Aaron, for joining us again. I hope you'll come back, uh, maybe not too quickly, <laughs> too soon. Uh, but until next week, I hope you check us out at uh, www.basicbiblepodcast.org and on Twitter at Basic biblecast. So until next time, have a great rest of your day.